0: You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. I wanted to talk about, like, I wanted to sort of recap where I left off last week, but I just don't have time. There's too much I want to get to today. So if you weren't here last week, there's a very simple way for you to recap it. Uh, Go to YouTube. Um, You can watch it there. It's probably still on our Facebook page. We have a... What's the uh, podcast? Uh, That's what the kids call it. And so there's all sorts of ways you can watch it. But um, I want to get right into Revelation chapter one because I am so excited about this part. It may be, this may be my favorite chapter of the Bible. Um, I've been reading it more and more and over and over and over and I'm falling more and more in love with it every time. So um, one of the books I read, I'm I'm reading like three books for this. and, And if you're curious, I'm reading a book called Unveiled Hope which is gorgeous. I'm reading a book called Breaking the Code and another book called um, A Responsible Reading of Revelation, which sounds super fun. Uh, but those are the three main books I'm reading outside, of course, L.B. Blake. And um, one of them said, the most important thing you have in your life right now, and I believe this, the most important thing, any, anyone, the most important thing you have in your life is the picture of Jesus that you have in your head. The most important thing you have right now, I know there's a whole lot of things going on in the world. The most important thing you have in your life is the picture of Jesus that you have in your head. Because the picture of Jesus that you have determines how you follow him, how you respond to him, how you serve, how you give, how you lead. How Everything flows from the picture of Jesus that you have in your head right now. And so I, I would love to know what your picture of Jesus looked like. Many of you grew up in church. If you didn't, uh, let me show you the image of Jesus that we grew up with. Um, these are pretty much the Sunday school pictures of Jesus, right? I mean, I think most of us probably grew up, and, and if I asked you to shut your eyes and picture Jesus, maybe you would see something that looks sort of like this. You've got this guy down on the far right He looks a lot like Christian Bale, right? It's the Batman Jesus. So he, and then you've got this kind of abstract, more like, I guess, Eastern Orthodox type picture. Then you've got my favorite picture of Jesus, the sheep petting Jesus, because that's always my favorite. And then you've got this just picture of just, hey, you know, right? The problem with these pictures are, I'm making everyone nervous with these pictures on the screen, aren't I? The problem with these pictures, they're very one-dimensional. And not only that, he's pasty white in all of these. And I don't want to ruin anybody's fun, Jesus was Middle Eastern, right? So I seriously doubt he looked like any of these people, but I don't think that these pictures really encapsulate who our God is. I think one of the problems is for too many of us, our picture of Jesus stops right here. We miss out on the fullness and the power of God. And Revelation chapter 1 is going to expand your mind on who Jesus is. And so my hope is today that if you came here and you know we 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 sang a couple of songs and maybe if you know you worship you're not really into that maybe today your mind is expanded maybe today you come to come to really understand who it is you came here to worship and what this whole thing is about and then we'll sing a couple songs at the end and who knows between this point and that point you might just get set free so that's my agenda and my prayer and uh, we'll see what happens been right before all right Revelation one. Let's jump in. Y'all ready? Dun, 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 dun. Here we go. Revelation 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. I forgot to say this. Bring your Bibles during this series. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one, but bring your Bibles. You can highlight, underline, like, let's make this a discussion. So bring your Bibles next time, and if you don't have one, we'll get you one. But there's a couple key words I wanna, I wanna hit on there. In that, I think it's the first sentence there. It says, Servants which must take place soon. So he says, A revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave his servants which must take place soon. The first word I wanna key in on there is soon. Soon is apparently a relatively relative term, isn't it? Because this was written a long time ago. But John the Baptist, or John, not John the Baptist, John on Patmos thought this was going to take place soon. He thought that that this was going to take place in probably his lifetime. He thought he was living in the end times. And biblically speaking, we are living in the end times. And so if you hear people who say, man, this looks like the end times, yeah, they're not crazy. The end times, biblically speaking, are from the day Christ resurrected until the day Christ comes back again. And so we are in the end times, right? I mean, it's, it's And So John thought this was going to happen soon. Many of you might think this is going to happen soon. A lot of people for a long time have thought this was going to happen soon. Problem is, we don't really know when soon is. God's not bound by time like we are. And so soon is whenever God decides it is. The other thing I, I saw in there was important, it said this must take place. Does that mean someone is forcing God to do this? No, must take place means that God has spoken, so it is. It will happen. We worship a God who, if he says it, it is. We worship a God who is stable and dependable. Some of y'all did not have fathers who were stable and dependable, and so it is hard to understand a father who is. But if this God says it, then he means it, and it will be. When he says it must, he means it's going to happen. So next verse, blessed. This is, I think this is verse three. We're going back a little bit. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. All right, let me ask you guys a question. And I really do want all of you to participate because I got to be honest, sometimes you don't. Sometimes I'll ask a question and some of you just stare at me and it makes me feel uncomfortable and alone. So (laughs) let's ask the question again. How many of you want to be blessed? Okay, great. Some of you still aren't participating, but that's all right. Um, most of us want to be blessed, but I, th- I think the, the problem is we don't really understand what blessed means in the Bible. If you want to understand a good idea of what blessed means, go read Matthew chapter 5, and it says things like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted because they believe in me. Now, who wants to be blessed? I mean, right, it's kind of different, isn't it? I mean, I I think we think, I had a buddy of mine who who I used to say, man, how you doing? He'd always say, blessed and highly favored. And I was, oh, I never said it, but I was thinking, based on what? Based on the money in your bank account? Based on the fact that you're an American? Based on the fact that you have a car? And like, how are you determined? Based on the fact that you've been able to lay down your life for Christ? Because to be blessed, biblically speaking, doesn't mean what we think blessed is. So blessed is the one who reads this, and blessed are those who hear it. I'm almost a little scared. I may or may not open this blessing. Right? I mean, be careful what you wish for, guys. Blessed. All right, Revelation 1-4. John, comma, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Okay. Something super important right here. Who is this book written to? Audience, oh, guys, come on now. Yeah, the churches. Specifically what churches? The seven churches. And where were they? Asia. So is this book written to us? No. No. But is it written for us? Yes. Yes. Just because it's not written to us doesn't mean we can ignore it. We're reading someone else's mail here, but this mail has a massive impact on what happens even at Grace Church in East End. But this was not written to Grace Church in East End, but it's for us. And we have to learn how to divide what was to us and what was for us and how to learn how to apply these things to our lives. And that's what we're going to do as we go through this message. I love it. He says, For him who was and is and is to come. It, when, G, when John introduces the one who's always been, who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, who's he talking about specifically? God, God the Father, right? And then he says, and the seven spirits, the seven spirits. Okay, I, I don't believe he's talking about seven spirits. It, what's the number seven always mean every time you see it in the book of Revelation? Perfect, whole, Complete. Every time as you're reading the book of Revelation, when you see the number seven, think perfect and whole and complete. And so he says, "From the seven spirits, so Isaiah 112 remember he's drawing so much of this in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11:2. the spirit of the Lord, that's one, he's of the Lord, will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear. How many is that guys? Seven. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. and He's applying these sevenfold things to the Holy Spirit. So when he talks about the seven spirits, he's not talking about seven spirits. He's talking about the one perfect spirit who is the Holy Spirit. All right. Sounds great, Tommy. Sweet. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So let's keep going. Verse five. And now... From Jesus Christ. He introduces Jesus third, which is interesting, but I think it's because he's going to talk about Jesus for the rest of this book. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness to the firstborn from the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest, a kingdom and priest, to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever. Okay, remember, let's go back. Remember these people who who got this letter the first time. The, the, The letter was written to these people. They're living in an area where kings and, 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 and emperors are tyrants. They're living under the authority of kings and emperors. And a matter of fact, if you don't worship the emperor, they take your job. They'll kill you. They'll starve you. You must worship the emperor. And then this says Jesus, who is ruler over the kings of the earth. You understand how important that would be if you're living in a church at a time who's persecuted by the kings of the earth? Like, worship would have broken out very similar to what's happening right now in this space, just unbridled enthusiasm. But that, that's what would have happened in their church. They would have gone incredibly because they were, Jesus ruler over everything. We don't have to fear these kings. We don't have to fear the emperor. We don't have to serve them. We don't have to worship them because Jesus is king of everything. And then it says something very interesting about this Jesus. It says he loves us. He loves us. Guys, don't get it twisted. The kings, and pre, the kings and emperors, they don't love you like Jesus does. A lot of them say they do. They don't love you like Jesus does. And in this place and time, to be loved by a king would have made no sense to the people in the world that Jesus called blessed. But he says he, he loves you and he freed you. With his blood, he set you free. And this is, again, is one of my, like, I know for me, sometimes we all get so churchy that we forget that we needed to be freed from something. And so he freed us from our life of sin. He freed us from death. He freed us from the punishment of what we deserve. He set us free. And one time, this is a true story, and I'm gonna tell it to y'all because y'all seem, y'all seem like you can handle it. I was in uh, Fayetteville in college. I'm braiding my, my deal while I tell this story. I was in college, and uh, I went to jail. Um, Razorbacks lost. It was a long night. I was angry. Just, things went south, and I went to jail for a night. I got out of jail the next day, and no one was there to pick me up. I called everybody, but they were still asleep. Apparently, their party continued. So I got out of jail, and they just basically set you free, and they're like, all right. you "All right, y'all. Everyone in here knows what I'm talking about. They're like, all right. Just go, some of y'all do. And they're like, all right, just go on home. So I'm walking around the streets of Fayetteville with like 72 cents trying to figure out how I'm gonna get home. And what I realized in that moment was I was almost more dangerous in that moment than I was the night before. Because freedom without direction is scary. Freedom without purpose is scary. Free people who don't know why they've been set free tend to just occupy places and not really bring any life to places. Freedom, when you don't understand what your freedom costs or what it's for, might actually become boring to you. But freedom, when you understand what you've been freed from and what you are now free to do, which is live a life that glorifies God, this should invigorate people. That kind of freedom brings purpose to your life. That kind of freedom makes you not want to go back, right, when you don't even really know what you've been set free from. Christ didn't just set us free. He made us a kingdom. He made us priests. He made us to allow to serve God so that the world might see us and see Christ through us. And so we're freed for a purpose. Um, next verse, this is so encouraging too. This is verse, uh, I think we're on verse what, seven. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the almighty, or he says, this is a reminder Okay, guys? Remember, John John doesn't stay just in the past or just in the present. He moves between past, present, and future. He's coming back again. This Jesus who set you free, this Jesus who saved your soul, he's coming back again. The first time he came, a few people saw him. He lives now within us, and many people see him. But when he comes back again, everyone will see him. When Jesus comes back again, he's not coming back like a little baby. He's coming back like a king. And everyone in the world will know that it's Jesus. And guys, for those of us who, who know and love and who have given our lives to Jesus, this will be a moment of great rejoicing. But for those who have rejected him, it'll be a moment of great pain, great mourning. And so there, there's a warning in there and a promise. He's coming and many will rejoice because he's the Alpha and the Omega, and he was and he is to be, and he's coming on the clouds of fire and everyone. But there will be a great mourning. Next verse, verse nine. I, John, your brother and companion in the sufferings, and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay. John, is, John has been preaching about Jesus and they put him on an island by himself. That was his punishment. Um, and I'll be honest right now. I know exactly how he felt, but he was on an island by himself. Okay. <laughs> and so that, that was John's punishment. And And, and so John is sitting there, and he's in this vision, and he's getting to see the throne room, and he's having this amazing encounter with God. Was John blessed? Yeah. Yeah, John was blessed. Was he blessed by our American standards of being blessed? No, but John says, as a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet John in that situation wouldn't trade places with any of us in this room for any of our situations. I think he thought the situation he was in was so amazing and so incredible and so out of this world beautiful. I don't think he would trade places with the, with the most wealthy, popular person in this entire room. I don't think he would switch with you because I think he believed that he was blessed beyond all measure in that circumstance. And yet he's sitting on an island, writing. And it says, it says, I'm your companion in the sufferings and patient endurance. Guys, I'm going to just make a little reflection. This is what I believe about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the end of, of 65 other books, and it's the climax of the whole story. I don't think the book of Revelation is the book of how Christians avoid some massive moment of suffering. I don't think that's what it is. I think the book of Revelation is how Christians endure patiently during suffering. I, and you can take that however you want. Some of take it one way. I'm fine with it however you take it. But but I, th- I think this is the story of our calling to endure patiently during times of great suffering. I, th- I think that's one of the marks of a Christian. You ever seen someone going through a really, really difficult time and they did it with humility and gentleness and kindness and they never took their eyes off Jesus? I've seen people die like that. I've been at someone's bedside and and watched them die with honor and dignity because they never took their eyes off Christ. I've seen other people who every time they break a nail, it's as if, you know, the, the world is about to end. Both claim to know Christ. Which one is really a better example of Christ to the world? Next verse, verse 10. "'On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, "'and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, "'which said, Write on a scroll what you see, "'and send it to the seven churches.'" Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Okay, so, so John is sitting there. He's doing his thing. He's alone on the island. He's just with God, and he's in, this, in the day of the Lord, which the Lord was with him in that moment, and he hears a voice, and the voice says, I'm going to reveal something to you. The name of this book is what? Revelation, Revelation which means... Unveiling or revealing. So, this is just again, this is just I'm going to reveal something to you that you are then going to reveal from someone else. And this is when our picture of Jesus, I hope, begins to get a little larger. I turned around and I see this is the next verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man. Okay, what are the seven golden lampstands? Anyone know? Shout it out. The churches. So he says, I see seven golden lampstands, which represents seven churches. And I see someone among the seven churches like the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus, always Jesus. And so when he says, where is Jesus in proximity to his church? Is Jesus up there and we're down here? Where is Jesus? He's among us. And so again, like, when, when, like earlier when we're singing and we're worshiping, and you know, I, I worship with hands up because I believe I'm in, in the presence of a power that's greater than me. I'm not saying you have to do that. But when you're in church and you're worried about worshiping, you're worried about something because you're worried about who's sitting next to you, you have a small vision of Jesus because he's the one sitting next to you. He is among his church. He is among his people. He's not up there keeping score on what's going on down here. He's in here participating in what's going on down here. Y'all see the difference in that? He is with you right now. Knowing what you're thinking about, knowing what's going on, knowing what you're... I mean, he is in here encouraging you. He's translating through the power of the Holy Spirit what I say in the spiritual truth for you. He's not out there. He's in here. He's with his church. All right, now I'm going to read a long, a long section, and this is just... This is cool. Verse 13. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest... The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sunshine, all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now I'm alive." forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Okay, that's a lot, right? Let me ask you guys a question. If you were to draw a literal picture of that, what would it look like? If you were just to draw a literal picture of that scene, like if you were, if you were all FBI sketch artists, and I read that to you, and you were to draw a literal picture of everything going on, what would that look like? I mean, you, you know, swords, what's going on? I want you guys to remember something when you're reading Revelation. What it says is not always what it means. It means what it means. And so so you have to use your imagination. Let me give you guys an example, okay? I'm going to read you guys a love poem because I think you need it. You ready? This is from a guy named William Wordsworth. And I want you guys in your head as I read this poem to to picture what I'm saying. Okay, just literally picture this in your head. Y'all ready? Are you ready? Okay. Okay. She was a phantom of delight when first she gleamed upon my sight, a lovely apparition sent to be a moment's ornament. Her eyes as stars of twilight fair, like twilight's too her dusky hair, but all things else above her drawn from maytime to the cheerful dawn, a dancing shape, an image gay to haunt and startle and waylay. I saw her upon near view, a spirit, yet a woman too. Okay, y'all got a picture of that in your head? Are, are, are you drawing a, let me, I, I, I did. I drew a literal picture of this to help you guys out. Check it out. Here is the literal picture that I drew, right? She's an ornament, so she's hanging off the side of a tree. She's got stars for eyes, obviously. Uh, I even labeled ornament up there. Her shirt says boo because she's either an apparition or a human, and she's also somebody's boo, right? So I, I got both of them. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, I mean... Get the bird over there, of course, Sunshine, and then I signed it because all artists always sign their work. <laughs> but, I mean, if you were just to draw that part of Revelation completely, you, know, you can't write this thing completely. You must use your imagination, and you must draw from the Old Testament to figure out not exactly what John is saying, but what does John mean? And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to go through these verses, and we're going to say, what does John mean? First one, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. Who wears outfits like that? Who do you think back in that day wore outfits? A golden sash. Who do you think wore a golden sash? Kings. In the pictures of Jesus you normally see, he's not wearing a golden sash, is he? He's dressed like he's walking around in sandals or, you know, he's kind of dirty. He's like, he, what this is saying is not that he's necessarily wearing a golden sash with a, with a robe to it, it's saying he's a king. They want you to picture in your head a king above all kings. Now, he might be wearing a golden sash. But the image here is not about the clothes. It's about who wore those clothes and kings wore those clothes. What they want you to see is he's a king. Next verse. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. Okay, all that's coming from Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. You can go look it up. But the, the hair on his head was white. Like, well, Does that necessarily mean that Jesus has got long white hair? No. It doesn't, what it means is white hair and spirit and wisdom and power and authority. That's what they thought. So the white hair symbolizes power and authority and wisdom. Eyes blazing like fire. Do you think his eyes are actually throwing out flames like the one dude from, uh, from Avengers? Not Avengers. Who's the guy who had that? Yeah. X-Men. I don't, think, I don't think they're saying that Jesus is throwing flames out of his eyes. I think what they're saying is his eyes are flames, and flames penetrate. That his eyes are so powerful that he actually penetrates your soul. And when he sees you, he sees the true you. You can't hide from him. You, you can't hide, You can't just Sunday school your way through because Jesus sees through you, and he knows who you are, yet he loves you completely. Now, it doesn't mean he's in love with your sin. He died on a cross to save you from that. But when King Jesus sees you, he is full of wisdom and power, and he sees everything. I believe that's what the author's saying. Okay, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Anybody got any ideas about that one? I'll tell you what I think. From the Old Testament, the, the, the altar where you offered your sin of atonement uh, was, was a bronze altar. And I believe what they're saying is that they're relating that to judgment, that Jesus didn't just come to, to love everybody and to pet sheep, but that he's also coming to judge. And too many of us have a picture of this King Jesus with fire in his eyes, and all he ever does is affirm us and love us. But right here, I think what it's saying is, no, he's the judge. He is the righteous judge. And he cannot be fooled, and he cannot be manipulated, and he cannot be, he can't be changed to what we want him to be. He is the righteous judge. And if you have a picture of Jesus not containing that, you have a small picture of Jesus and it needs to grow. Next, for this one right here is cool. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. So, do y'all think he sounded like shh? I don't think that's what that's saying. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel 43 2, where, where he's, it says, And I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Okay, don't think about a stream when you, when you picture this, because what are they saying? What are they meaning? Um, in the first, in the first, uh, in the 830, I was like, y'all ever been to a massage parlor? What I meant was like, <laughs> massage parlor wasn't the words I was looking for. What I meant was, uh, what do you call an actual masseuse? Just a stand in, yeah, a spa. Yeah. I was, y'all ever been to a massage parlor? I was like, no, no, I didn't mean that. I'm in mean, a spa. But if you've been in a spa, there's like a little trick, you know, the little water in the spa, like your aquarium at home. Everyone had a five-gallon aquarium at some point dead beta for like six months floating around it's not that it's not the trickle it is a roar imagine imagine you're close to the ocean on a windy day and all you can hear is like you can't even hear each other. If you're by a waterfall you can't hear when you're by a waterfall but anywhere in the woods you recognize that sound don't you even if you can't see you recognize the sound of rushing water and if you're close enough to it, it dominates the whole conversation. What he wants us to know here is when Jesus speaks, you will hear him. His voice is not passive. His voice is not afraid. His voice is not bent by your will. When he speaks, you will hear him. That's what the author wants you to see. Not shh, but whoo, Right? See the difference? Rushing waters. This next one is super cool, too. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like sunshine and all of its brilliance. OK, I don't believe that what they're saying is when we, there's going to be an actual sword coming out of his mouth. How would he even eat? Right? And we understand uh, uh, it, Hebrews 4:12. "For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So what is the sharp double-edged sword? It's the word of God. The word of God has that much power that when Jesus speaks, it will cut to your bones. And how many of you know that is true? Has Jesus ever spoken a word to you that cut right to the core? Amen. If not, get ready, because it's going to happen one day. His word has power. You hear it. You know it's him and it cuts. And I love it, it says his son, his face is like sunshine. God's without sunshine, there is no life. Do you ever look at the sun and go, I wonder if that's the sun? You think that's the sun? No, you know it, don't you? When you see the sun, you know it. And the sun makes everything. But what else can the sun do if you're not careful? If you approach it willy nilly and just sit up there and stare at it like, I don't know, like we all, like that one guy after the tornado who always gets interviewed by the news. <laughs> if you just stare at it, right, it, it'll, kill it'll kill you. If you get close enough to the sun, unprepared, the sun will This is talking about the radiance of Jesus the Christ. This is how powerful he is. Again, my hope right now is that your picture of Jesus is expanding a little bit. And then this is where, I, where, this is where we're going to stop. You can read the rest of Revelation chapter 1 on your own, and I hope you do. But I, I just want to, just this part, Revelation one seventeen. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I have given this so much thought since I read this the first time. And I have been so um, convicted by this, convicted about my lack of willingness to worship some days. When, when we encounter Jesus... When we encounter the real Jesus, the first thing we should feel is the overwhelming knowledge that our sins have offended him greatly. We should fall like dead people at his feet and beg for mercy. And I I almost feel like too many Christians miss that part, especially those of you who've kind of been good your whole life. You miss that part because you've been really pretty good anyway. But for those of us who haven't, for those of us who've really done some dirt, there was a moment when I was begging him to forgive me, begging him to transform me, begging him not to walk away from me, begging him to lead me out of the darkness that I was in. And we cannot forget that moment. When we first meet Jesus, we should fall at his feet and beg him for mercy because we do not deserve him. Our sin has offended him. E- even your sin, even the ones you think you're not bad, even your sin has offended him greatly. He is the king of the world. His face is radiant like the sun. His voice is like the ocean. He has flames as he sees the truth. He's judging and he's saving and he's loving. When you meet this God, you should fall down like you were dead. But then he reaches down and he touches you. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that moment, that is the moment that should fuel your worship. That that moment right there, that moment right there should fuel your worship. And if that's not happening for you anymore, then you either don't believe you needed him or you don't believe that he loves you and he's still there for you. But it's got to be one of the two. If you come into church every night, guys, this is not me getting on to y'all, but it's just, if you come into church every week and you just sit through and there's nothing going on in you, then you either don't believe you needed him or you don't understand how much he loves you. But the combination, the intersection of my need and my despair and my, and my horrendous sin with his love and grace can only fuel an explosion that is categorized by worship. And that means we don't come passively in here. We come in here and we look for someone else to love because loving someone else is an act of worship. You don't come in here just worried about you. You look for other people because, in, guys, we, we had people in the first service that, that, that I, I, was, I was so worried because they were new and I was worried, is anyone going to greet them? They were overwhelmed by people at the end of the service because people understand that greeting people is an act of worship. When I'm preaching, we should be engaged. We should, be taught, like, we should be engaged because this is an act of worship. Every time we open this book together, the gates of hell shudder, and it is an act of worship. When we sing in here, we're giving glory to God Almighty, the one who found me at my worst and gave me life. And when that happens, there should be energy. And if there's not in your life, it's not my fault. I used to think it was. I used to, oh, um, anyone who on my team can tell you how many times I've been like, I wonder what I can do differently. I wonder if I could, you know, preach sideways or upside down or, you know, what if I wore a less cool shirts or I don't know, you know, whatever. I've thought of it. I can't do anything for you. You must desire a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's on you. And if you don't desire that, why do you keep coming back? There's way easier ways to spend your Sunday. Why do you keep coming back? Why do you keep coming back to a place where they talk about giving your money and and loving people you don't even like and read a book you don't read on your own? Here's what I want us to do, guys, as we close this one, because I want us to close with grace. But we, we need to understand that worship is not a suggestion. Okay, God didn't say, perhaps you would consider worshiping me when you came together on Sundays. This Jesus we just described, he commands it. It's not optional. So here's what I want everyone around the room to shut your eyes. Just shut your eyes for me. Right where you are. All right, here's what I want you to do picture Jesus. Picture Jesus. What's What's he look like in your mind? Is he blonde hair, blue eyed, petting a sheep? Picture Jesus. Right now, what's what's he look like in your brain? Do you see power? Do you see glory? Do you see majesty? Do you see someone who loves you? Do you see someone who's forgiven you? How do you feel? How do you feel? Like let let yourself go for a second. Use your imagination because you will not enjoy a series on revelation if you refuse to use your imagination. How do you feel right now as you're picturing Jesus? Are you scared? Is there some regret? Is there some remorse? Is there some fear? Is there hope? Is there hope for your current situation? you feel picturing. Don't be afraid. Stay in the moment. Stay in the moment stare at his face for just just a minute. Now imagine, imagine the moment the king of the world comes back. Stay with me, guys. Imagine the moment the king of the world comes back. Everyone sees him. But Imagine he comes to you and his words to you are I've always known and I've always been with you. When you had that loss, I was there. When she didn't come home, I was there. When you had that doubt, I was there. When you committed that sin, I was there. When you broke that promise, I was there. When you refused to worship me, I was there. I saw it all. And I've come back. And I've come back to take you home. You didn't deserve me. You couldn't earn me. But I love you more than you will ever know. All I'm asking you to do in this world is worship me. You have one job here. One goal. And that is to give me everything because I've given everything. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to The Grace Church Podcast.